BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry radio discover more shows and movies for free ever thought about owning a piece of history introducing the newt gingrich contract with america coin from legacy precious metals my limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic republican victory in 1994 marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. On this episode of Newt's World, there is so much happening in our country right now, and many of you have questions. As part of my Inner Circle Club, I hold regular video meetings where you can ask your questions. Today, I met with my Inner Circle And there were so many great questions that are so timely for what's going on right now that I thought it was the best way to share with you what I'm thinking about as I watch a really remarkably chaotic period in America. I hope you will find it informative. You can join my inner circle at newtsinnercircle.com. Well, it's great to be here and This is my first inner circle from home. We got here last week, and so I'm delighted to have a chance to chat with you and to share what's going on as Callista and I sort of try to get reoriented. It's very different, as you can imagine, from life in Rome. I thought I would start today by focusing on the first week of the Biden presidency, because I think it communicates a kind of very deep split between the message they would like us to get and the reality of what they're doing. I thought that the inaugural address, which Chris and I actually watched flying back across the Atlantic, I thought it was a good address. It hit most of the right themes. A little bit of it was borrowed from Bill Clinton, but overall, it was still, I think, fine. However, the challenge was Biden wanted to communicate unity and being together, being on the same side. But he promptly walked up to the White House from the Capitol and signed a whole series of executive orders which guaranteed disunity, everything from, in effect, eliminating girls' sports by allowing 
males to participate in female sports to deciding that he would suspend deportation for the next 100 days of illegal immigrants who had criminal records or criminal backgrounds, guaranteeing about something like 45,000 criminals would stay in the U.S. And this is, by the way, at a time when it was just announced we had the highest increase in murders last year in our major cities in American history, I think a 38% jump in the number of people killed in our big cities. He killed the XL pipeline on all fairness. He had campaigned on killing the XL pipeline as part of his commitment to a green agenda. But it was interesting because, you know, the union, which lost 14,000 jobs, had endorsed Biden. And yet Biden had publicly indicated all through the campaign that he would kill it. You go down item by item, and it's fascinating. In fact, I was on Sean Hannity, and a member of the union who had just lost his job was on. And he said he didn't fight with his union, but his guess was that 90% of his fellow union members voted for Trump because they just didn't believe the union leadership. So you have this consistent effort by Biden to create a much more liberal world. You know, he had promptly abolished the 1776 Commission. Now, to give an example of sort of cultural politics and cultural warfare, The 1776 Commission was created by President Trump as an answer to the New York Times 1619 project. As you know, in the New York Times project, it's all based around the idea that the arrival of the first slave in 1619 is the real beginning of America, and that America can only be understood through slavery and through segregation. So the Trump administration, which thinks that actually American history is vastly bigger than that, to judge Washington or Jefferson or any of the founding fathers in a narrow 2021 way as compared to understanding them in the world they were in is a huge mistake. And to think that an America which had fought a civil war to abolish slavery and in which Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation was in any way dominated or defined by slavery is just factually wrong. Well, I thought it was fascinating that on the very first day The left culturally understood how big a threat the 1776 Commission was. And as a result, the left got Biden to kill it with an executive order the very first day. So I think that it's an interesting gap here. You have consistent executive orders towards the left. You have appointments to the cabinet, which in all fairness range from moderate liberals to very radical You really have, I think, a serious challenge in dealing with people below the cabinet. In other words, you might have a secretary of a department who's sort of okay, but the 22 people appointed under that secretary are all left-wingers. And so you're going to see just an enormous range of regulations and decisions and funding that are all determined to be on the left. If... Biden really wanted unity, which I don't think he does. I think Biden wants surrender and conformity, not unity. I think the fact is that we are in a situation where Biden, if he wanted unity, would call on the Senate to drop the whole idea of impeaching President Trump. Now, he's not going to do that. In fact, he said he thinks it's perfectly fine to go ahead with it. This is, I think, irrational. And this is all in the very first week, remember. It tells you that the one unifying element of the Democratic Party 
is the hatred of Trump. And as long as they can keep Trump as an issue, they can keep their members relatively happy because they think of Trump as a pinata. They're beating the pinata with their sticks so they can get at the goodies that are inside. And as long as the pinata survives, everybody at the party is really happy because they're beating the pinata. And once the pinata disappears, they're all going to be staring at each other, still holding sticks, by the way. And now they're going to go back to fighting each other. So in a sense, the longer they can keep Trump as a central issue, the better off it is for the Democrats. In addition, to some extent, it splits the Republicans. There is a branch of the Republican Party, which always wants to be liked by the news media and always wants to be liked by the Democrats. It's not a very big branch. In the House, it turned out to be about 10 out of over 200. And so the vote was, I think, 190 against impeachment and 10 in favor. That gives you some idea of of how big the difference is. But I think that nonetheless, it does split the Republican Party a little bit. It also keeps Trump focused on Trump, which is a huge mistake. What we don't need is to spend two or three years focused on Trump as opposed to solving problems. And I think the Republican Party will be better off. Trump should be challenged to join in the development of solutions to America's great problems, not just in engaged in personality politics. So all of this is sort of the first week. I think from the standpoint of the country, it's very interesting that while all this is going on in Washington, the dictator of China, Xi Jinping, is off at Davos with all the billionaires being wildly received, because after all, he's mature and he's a statesman. And he doesn't have a messy political system like we do, largely, of course, because he has a secret police and they tend to lock people up. But it was very telling to me that Xi Jinping is getting all sorts of accolades as a wise statesman. The Europeans are swooning over him. The billionaires like him for two reasons. He makes them a lot of money. And they're all oligarchs. They all live in enclaves. They're all surrounded by security. The only people near them are people who say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. So they don't see any great problem. That's why you end up with companies like Nike and Apple and others lobbying against legislation that would prohibit the use of slave labor. These folks are all people who, in fact, want to have some kind of involvement. They want to make the money, and they don't want to think too deeply about how the money's getting made. And that's a real problem. So in a sense, this has been a good week for China. Killing the XL pipeline actually means the Canadians will probably send their oil to China. They've said this all along. And it's one of the reasons that when Trump decided to approve the XL pipeline, it was actually a, both a piece towards energy independence and towards job creation, but it was also a piece towards isolating China. Well, the Canadians aren't stupid. If the United States doesn't want their oil, they're going to build the pipeline across the Rockies to Pacific and send it to China, where the Chinese will be quite happy to buy it. The Chinese gained ground when the United States rejoined the World Health Organization, an organization totally dominated by the Chinese, which has done a terrible job with COVID-19, which is a Chinese virus. When Biden joins the Paris Accord, it's another victory for China. And if you watch what Xi Jinping said in Davos, he is all in favor of multinational efforts in organizations dominated by the Chinese. And I've watched for three and a half years in Rome, as you would talk to people who are involved in these multinational organizations, the Chinese clearly had a strategy for gradually winning control of every one of them. And our State Department was too slow, too weak, 
too confused and had been, by the way, for three or four presidencies, going back at least to Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and Obama. So while Trump was trying to turn it around and Pompeo was trying to turn it around, the Chinese have an enormous internal advantage in places like the World Health Organization or the World Food Organization, places where they've very methodically spent years gathering up a majority. So either you get a Chinese leader or you get a Chinese-approved puppet as the leader. And Xi Jinping was being very generous. By the way, the same week, they were flying uh, military aircraft over Taiwan to send a signal to the United States and Taiwan that there were very strict limits to what the Chinese would tolerate. I don't know that the Biden administration had control of this yet. But at the same time, ironically, uh, we sent a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier battle group into the South China Sea to directly contest China's claim to control that region. So there are a lot of things going on. Rasmussen had Biden at 48% approval, 45% disapproval. That would make him the weakest and least approved new president in modern history. Much weaker than Trump, who was, I think, at 56%. Much weaker than Obama, who was, I believe, at 61%. I was actually startled when I saw that. And I think that that may be a consequence of the gap between his unity inaugural address and what he's been doing. And also the fact that when you go item by item, for example, a majority of the country was against rejoining the Paris Accords and believes it will kill jobs. A majority of the country was against killing the XL pipeline and believes it will kill jobs. So Biden has taken some fairly unacceptable positions for the average American. The last of which, of course, I want to mention is this whole decision that they will allow men, as long as you claim you feel more like a woman, you will be able to compete in women's sports, use women's locker rooms and women's bathrooms. And there's no doubt physiologically that if you allow men to compete, they will gradually come to dominate almost every sport. You literally have, by executive order, functionally repealed Article 9, which created female sports in its modern form. So all of the progress of the last 30 or 40 years in creating well-financed opportunities for women to compete are now going to be, I think, directly threatened by an executive order signed on the very first day, which makes you wonder to what degree this will be a transgender-dominated administration, and what does that mean? I think there's the consequence of all this thing said that Biden will lose even more ground and that the Democrats' prospects for 2022 are getting worse. So that's a very sweeping overview of Biden's first week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Debbie, I think probably we ought to give people a chance to ask some questions. Yeah, we have some great questions from our Inner Circle members. Our first question, Newt, can you explain HR1? And Dr. Lowry from California asks, could HR1 create a legal national mandate for mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting, and prevent any state from requiring a valid ID in order to vote? And wouldn't this be a death knell to democracy? H.R. 1, this is a deliberate effort to create a federal mandate to make it easy to steal elections. There's no other way to say it, and I think we ought to be honest about that. The left is desperate to turn the whole country into California. They do not believe they can win honest elections. And if you look, for example, at the red states, even after everything that went on, you find states they're not going to be competitive in unless they can change the rules. So their answer is easy, change the rules. But the question was exactly right, and I think it's a huge problem. Dave from Florida asks, should Liz Cheney be removed from her House Republican leadership position due to her vote for impeachment? And if we give money to the NRCC, how can we make sure that no money from our contribution goes to help Cheney or the nine other House Republicans who voted for impeachment? Well, I think you can earmark your money and just say that when you send it in. So that's not the big deal. I believe that Any member of Congress has a right and, in fact, has a duty to vote their conscience. So I have no problem with Congresswoman Cheney voting any way she wants to. However, when she issued her statement, she should not have put her title, which is chair of the House Republican Conference, because that allowed the Democrats to then taunt the Republicans on the floor during the debate by reading her statement. And I think at a minimum, there ought to be a serious conversation in the House Republican Conference about leadership having an obligation when it's going to split from the regular members 
to do so in its own name and not do so using its title. Whether they want to go beyond that, certainly there's a faction that wants to strip her of her chairmanship. I think that's something they got to talk through among themselves. But at a minimum, they need to establish the precedent that members of leadership cannot take a position that is not representative of the members and use their title. They can take it as individuals. I really believe deeply that on issues of conscience, every member should vote their conscience and not vote some kind of party automatic vote. Robert from Ohio was a phone team captain for you in Ohio during your 2012 presidential campaign. And he writes, now that we have Biden and the Democrats in power, we know that their climate change beliefs will be one of their main focuses. How can we use that focus to our advantage in advancing the space and Artemis programs? For example, convincing Biden and the Democrats to promote technology such as nuclear fission, which can be used for space. I think that it would be very helpful to have a Republican climate change agenda that was intelligent and that could compete head on. I agree with you, for example, that there are several things going on in space. One is both in the U.S. and in China, there's a serious effort underway to develop solar power from satellites in space because you get 100% access to the sun 24 hours a day. Studies have been done. We're not that far from the technology coming down in cost to where you could actually deliver solar power by a form of microwave that would be very competitive and have no carbon footprint and none of the challenges we face with the current fossil fuels. I think also that one of the great challenges for the green left is that nuclear power clearly is dramatically better for the environment than virtually any other kind of energy. When you take the environmental cost of building wind power and building solar power, nuclear power is actually better because you have to use a lot of resources to build these so-called renewable fuels by putting together equipment that's not renewable, like the turbines on a wind tower. I would also say that the answer to most of the left on their dumber green ideas is two things. It is jobs and it's quality of life, cost of living. And on both of those counts, they tend to lose badly. And people, when they're faced with the real cost, tend to not be very comfortable going down that road. Karen asks, how can this onslaught of shutting down free speech, the environment of cancel culture, and the destruction of the Republicans be turned around? Well, I think, first of all, by standing up and saying no. Don't let yourself be bullied. Don't let yourself be intimidated. Second, there are emerging new technologies and new groups that don't have anti-conservative biases and join one or more of those. Now, you know, Parler ran into a problem because it was, in fact, a libertarian site that was open without censoring us, but it had been built around the big technology companies. And so they just strangled it. Now, whether or not it can get rebuilt, I'm not quite sure. We did a very, very interesting podcast with Amy Peikoff, the chief policy officer for Parler, and she did a good job of explaining where they were. But I think that there are emerging systems that have their own servers that don't rely on Google, they don't rely on Apple or Facebook or Twitter. And I think the more conservatives who go to them, the better off we are. Remember, it was the rise of Fox, which changed the whole culture of the news media. I think similarly, the rise of one or two 
big competitive social media sites will have enormous impact. And of course, you look at the stock market, Twitter is just taking a tremendous beating as people began to realize folks are just going to leave Twitter because it's so unreliable. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. This is a great question from John in Wisconsin. If Vice President Harris is not a regular voting member of the Senate, just a tiebreaker, why does the majority leader shift to the Dems with a 50-50 split in the Senate? That's a good question, but the answer is really simple. Because every time there's a tie, she'll break it. Therefore, functionally, the Democrats will always have the majority if they can get all 50 of their members. Now, apparently... There's a report out this morning that two of the Democrats have already said they will not vote to lift the filibuster. Snickma in Arizona and Manchin in West Virginia. If that's true, then the Democrats have a huge problem because that means on almost every major thing they want, they got to get 60 votes. I think that that would be an enormous game changer. I also think that there are a number of opportunities for Republicans in 2022 in the Senate. And if we pick up control once again, the Democrats will never have had a working uh, ability to dominate the Senate. When Trent Lott and Tom Daschle had a tie Senate, had 50-50, with Dick Cheney breaking the tie under George W. Bush, they worked out a power-sharing agreement because unless you work out some kind of power-sharing agreement, since the Senate initially organized before the two Democrats from Georgia were sworn in, 
They organized as a Republican majority. She had Republican chairman of committees and no ability to defeat them because the committees are at best even money. So if you want to get to Democratic chairs of the committees, you got to have some working relationship with McConnell and the Republicans. And so far, Schumer's not been able to figure out how to get to that because his left would regard power sharing as a defeat. On the other hand, it's a reality. They don't have 51. They got 50. And several of their 50 are very shaky, and very few of ours are shaky. Jennifer wants to know, should we really be concerned with this talk of re-education of the children of Trump voters, as well as other threats made by the media figures, politicians, and businesses? Or do you think this is all hyperbole? It seems very unprecedented in America. No, it's happening right now all over the place. If you look at the degree of left-wing indoctrination in the California schools or the Chicago schools or the New York schools, it's astonishing what children are being taught. The left wing figured out they could dominate the college campuses through the professors. And then if they could dominate the public schools through the teachers union, they could gradually change all of America. And that's what they've been doing. It's a remarkable achievement on their part. Dwayne from Minnesota would like for you to help us understand the history and the intended use of executive orders. He's having a hard time understanding why the increasing use of executive orders is tolerated or allowed to occur, and can executive orders be challenged in the same way a law could? You can challenge executive orders and, and take them to court. And in fact, the Attorney General of Texas has filed a lawsuit against the executive order on suspending the agreement with Mexico about Mexico keeping the illegal immigrants on the Mexican side of the border. So you can legally challenge them. Executive orders originally were pretty benign. The question you've got is, Congress passes a law. The president signs the law in. And now you have a question of exactly how are you going to implement the law? The original purpose of an executive order was to operate within an existing law and send an instruction to the bureaucracy about exactly how they should handle implementing the law. In the last two generations, it's become much broader and much wider. And as the Congress has deadlocked more and more, presidents both on the right and the left have used executive orders more and more aggressively. And that's where we are right now. It's partly a function of the collapse of Congress as an effective governing institution. Dennis asks, if Mitch McConnell votes to convict Trump, do you think that that could destroy the Republican Party? Oh, I think that if the Senate Republicans were to vote to convict Trump, they would guarantee the Democrats would stay in office at least through 2026. Biden would get reelected. The Democrats would keep the House and keep the Senate. A poll came out yesterday that if Trump ran as a third party candidate, he would come in second and the Republican Party would come in third. My view is the arrogance and the corruption of members of the Senate and House deciding that they will take over the power to tell you who you are allowed to vote for. You know, 74 million plus people voted for Donald Trump. Now, by what right does a Nancy Pelosi or a Chuck Schumer say that they can't be on the ballot and you can't vote for them? I think it's just crazy. And I think it's a total denial of the American people's right 
to pick who they want to vote for. To have the elites in Washington get into a habit of believing they can dictate to the rest of us who we're allowed to choose. I just think that's a terrible, terrible precedent. And I would think that when they think it through, I would hope that not a single Republican would vote yes once they thought through the historic implications. But it's not about whether or not he did something dumb on the 6th of January. It's about whether or not, as a consequence, uh, and remember, you, you have lots of Democrats who incited lots of things, and you could find lots of people on the Democratic Party in the House and Senate that you could easily claim were far worse than Trump in terms of anything they said. You have no evidence that Trump was part of an effort to take over the Capitol, and increasing evidence that the FBI knew and warned that there were outside elements who wanted to come in and cause trouble. I just think this whole thing becomes very dangerous, not just for the Republicans, comes dangerous for the nation, and I hope they'll back off from it. Donald from South Carolina, who's a retired veteran and a minister, asks, I saw you Sunday on Mark Levin. How could I, one of the 74 million that voted for Trump as peaceful patriot, get a list of the big tech, big companies, banks, and other organizations that are censoring people and politicians with beliefs like mine? He wants to get actively involved in a boycott. And do you know of any place that's publicizing this list? I think that's a good idea. And we'll look into it and post it if we can find it. I think it is something the Republican National Committee ought to be producing. I mean, if Marriott Hotels announces they're not going to give any more money to Republicans, the RNC ought to lead an effort for no Republican to stay at Marriott. We've we've got to get to be as tough as our opponents who are trying to drive us out of public life. And we've got to be prepared. You know, 74 million people is a lot of customers. And we could have a huge impact if we were organized. Walter from Nevada needs your help explaining the election results to his 12-year-old daughter. He says, I know that people keep saying you got to move forward and not cry over the election results, but his daughter came to him and asked why it was okay for the left to break the rules and break laws related to the election, knowing that many of the courts didn't even review the evidence submitted. Then she asks, why do we cower in fear and accept the results? If it was a student council election that happened, that would not be allowed to take place. He would like help of what is a good response for her at 12 to help walk her through the situation and the bias. Well, I think first of all, it is about the bias. It's true. You have very large elements on the left. You certainly have the governor and the state legislature in Nevada. My advice to her would be, if she really wants to get into this, find a local state legislator who voted the wrong way, organize a campaign and beat them. And I think you'd be shocked how much impact that would have. And that is how in America, historically, these things change. And it often involves 12-year-olds who decide to get out there and decide that they're part of wanting to create a better future. And I think it'd be great if she got involved. Let me say to everybody, if you find it helpful to get the material, I try to report almost every day to the inner circle. It helps us when you write in and tell us what additional focus or what different focus you'd like to have. These are very, very useful get-togethers, and and I pick up new ideas every time. And as you see things, we want your feedback. That's why this is called the Inner Circle, because we want you to feel, as a member of the Inner Circle, you can give us feedback. And candidly, 
to the degree you like doing this and you think it's useful, if you can encourage your friends to join, that's very, very helpful in enabling us to focus on public policy and continue to do the things that we think are important for America. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you to the members of my Inner Circle Club. You can learn more about the Inner Circle and sign up at newtsinnercircle.com. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like, choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline 